0: Welcome to Author News Weekly, the weekly news show by authors for authors. We read the news so you don't have to. Join our pet of best-selling authors each week as we take a deep dive into the publishing world, both indie and traditional. Author News Weekly. Yeah, whatever. Whatever indeed. <laughs> I'm Ari McGee. Thank you for joining us at ANW this week let me introduce the powerhouse panel that we have today. Uh, We have the author of the Micah Reed series, The Lane Parish Spy Thrillers, as well as the author of the Six Assassins books, Jim Heskett. Hello. We also have the author of The Vigilante Chronicles, the Metamorphosis online game lit fantasy RPG novels, and the Trials and Tribulations series. Uh, we all know her as Moira Katzen and Natalie Gray, but for the purposes of this podcast, she has allowed us to call her Philippa Warner. Hello. Say hi, Philippa. There we go, big <laughs> deal. That way people can at least get to know your guys' voices or these floating heads or- oh, I wanna be a floating head. <laughs> yeah, well, they're not even watching, so we're just floating voices, which is even creepier. All right. And uh, last but not least, the author of the Harvey Bennett series and the new Jake Parker thrillers, as well as the author of the six assassins books, uh, USA Today bestseller, Nick Dacker. What's up, guys? Very good. Very good. And like I said, I'm Ari McGee, and I will get better at that, I swear. So, nothing else to talk about up front. Let's get to the news. Sorry, I was supposed to play. (laughs) (laughs)
1: It was supposed to play when I clicked it and it didn't play when I clicked it, so I had to click it a
0: couple times. (laughs) We got It's all right, man. I would be uh, lost behind the board over there like you. Yeah, so you're doing good, man. You're doing good. Okay, first story. This is a a little weird and I wanted to mention it to you guys because uh, reasons that will make sense a little bit later. So uh, this first story is called Disney Must Pay. Hashtag Disney Must Pay. Uh, And the gist of it is... Uh, in 1976, Alan Dean Foster uh, wrote the novelization of Star Wars using George Lucas's script, uh, and he was paid as a ghostwriter. He also wrote many other sci-fi books during that era, including Aliens uh, for 20th Century Fox via Warner Books. Now, when Disney bought 20th Century Fox, Alan Dean Foster's royalties stopped. Well, obviously, something was wrong. So, uh, Alan Dean Foster contacted SIFWA that's the what Science Fiction Writers of America and uh, the Disney lawyers are telling Alan Dean Foster and SIFWA that they own the rights to Foster's alien novels among others but they no longer have to pay the royalties that the deal to pay Alan Dean Foster for his work was between Warner Books and 20th century in Alan Dean Foster. And now that Disney has bought the copyright, they bought the asset for Alien, but they never bought the obligations. And so they transferred it to a different publisher who was still publishing the book with Mr. Mister Foster not getting any royalties. So the reason I wanted to talk to you guys about this is because uh, you're all accomplished uh, uh, co-writers, and you're used to working with other people, and maybe some of you have done some ghosting. So I just want to see what you think about this, and you know what kind of uh, crazy magic is going on—black magic over there at uh, at Disney. So black magic, definitely. The blackest of magics. What do, what do you think, Peppa? What's what's the deal with all this?
2: I don't know. It's some bullshit.
0: <laughs> like, okay. there's
2: there's just nothing else to say you're like well i bought this asset but none of the responsibilities that go like no things don't work that way it's not it's one of those like disney throws their weight around because they've got enough capital to drag things through courts for a while and they're betting that they'll he'll drop the case
1: yeah, yeah. and they can afford to pay him um out, out of court so they don't have to pay the legal fees for it. The point is, Disney's, Disney's gonna win. I have no question that Disney's gonna win in this case, and that sucks. It's bullshit. Um, it's not bullshit legally. It's contractually, Disney is in the right. They're in the clear because they bought something, and in that contract it does not say anything about Disney paying this guy. Um, that sucks, but that's probably just the way it is. Um, I think... I, I'm just trying to figure out a way to get to, to prevent that from happening, and I don't think that, the, that this author could have – I don't think there's anything that you could do. The way the legal system – again, I'm not a lawyer. Uh, never have been, never will be. But it seems like the way the legal system is set up is whatever the contract says goes. And that contract was null and void when it got sold to Disney, and that's just unfortunate, right?
2: Although ambiguity in the contract does benefit the person who's considered Definitely to have void. lower legal standing. And so it's possible that he could sue Warner Brothers – yeah.
1: For writing that contract
2: on his behalf.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, it, that's true. And that um, I don't know.
2: I'm not a lawyer, but it seems it, my guess is either he signed something with Warner Brothers that later allowed them to make that exact contract, or he does in fact have a case. The question is simply whether or not he can pursue it.
1: I think he has a case. I'm I'm agreeing with you. I think that this is total bullshit, and he has a case, and he should, you know, pursue it. Um, the problem is, he just is not going to have as much money as Disney, which is why I'm saying Disney will win. Oh, yeah. Not Fair. because they're legally <laughs> in the or, or above board or anything. Uh,
3: welcome it's to the legal system. Well, you know, and it's certainly not a very good advertisement for traditional publishing, is it? Uh, it certainly doesn't make traditional publishing look very attractive when you know that you could write a book and then eventually just have it taken away from you as if it never occurred. And I, I think the lesson here for authors is that if you do manage to get a traditional publishing contract, you, that's something you got to think about. You got to think about what happens if the publishing company folds or gets sold, or your rights get transferred to somebody else. There needs to be language in that contract protecting you, and that's mm-hmm. something that you know you got You're going to have to shell out a whole bunch of money to have a lawyer just read that. Just spend you're going to spend three hundred bucks for a lawyer to spend five minutes reading it and telling you that it's no good. Mm.
1: I, yeah. So, I, strangely enough, ironically, I was reading through. I have a traditional publishing contract, um, and I was reading through the contract last night. Um, now the reason for that was I was trying to find, um, if there was any clause, a buyout clause, like if I could get this Jake Parker character purchased essentially, and then, um, relaunch them as my own series. Uh, well, I mean, it is my own series, but relaunch them without the traditional, uh, guys in place. Um, anyway, I saw in there that, yeah, if, if that company folds, that publishing company folds, then the contract is null and void. I get all the rights, you know, revert to me immediately, which I thought was, that's kind of, that's kind of a good way to do it. Um, It did not say anything. I don't think about being acquired and that, that would be the case in in this particular news story. Um, You know, what do you do if there's an acquisition? Should all the contracts just be null and void? I don't think that would be the best option for the author either, because then all of a sudden they have to re initiate that contract. And, you know, Disney might not have done that. You know, they might not have said, Hey, well, we don't, we don't want this or whatever. I don't know. So, yeah, there's no good, good situation here. I think the bottom line for me is um, if Disney is listening to this podcast, um, Disney, if you're making money from someone's crap, you got to pay them for the crap. Like that's just the way it is. If, you're, if you guys are selling this thing, pay the person who created the thing um, and, and make them whole, you know, either buy it outright and make them whole or, you know, give them royalties on it. That's as simple as it needs to be. And I hope that's what ends up happening in the courts, but I doubt it will.
0: Uh, yeah. So I think maybe, uh, one of the lessons about this is, uh, you know, how, how you can get your, uh, rights revision structured in these contracts. Cause I know that that's a really big thing uh, to ensure that, you know, you protect yourself and at least have some kind of valid avenues, to get your rights back uh, if things kind of go hay- haywire. So, um, well,
2: and there's also the fact that a whole bunch of publishing houses, and I'm not sure if we talked about this last week, but a whole bunch of publishing houses have written into several authors' contracts that any benefit they give to someone else, ret- like they have to give it to those specific authors as well. And so mm. if, um, Like if they give you anything or a higher royalty rate or anything like that, they've got all of these other people that they have to give it to. And that is one of the main reasons that they really drag on giving new authors different benefits. And one of the reasons that they might not shift at all and just be like, well, it was that or bust. And apparently you chose bust, which is not always such a loss, but.
1: Yeah, I think the bottom line for me with with traditional or, or self publishing is how much control do you want, um, and uh, and you know you're either way you're going to give up some opportunity, um, and with traditional some of that opportunity is in the form of risk that your stuff may just be locked up for a certain amount of time, and if that's a risk you're willing to take because you get an advance that's that's big or, or whatever, then that absolutely may be worth it, but um, it all just comes down to the the individual contract you get,
0: right?
2: Yep.
1: Yep.
0: Indeed. All right, good stuff. So let's move on to story number two. Now, uh, if you listened to us last week, we had a conversation about audio books. And uh, this is a kind of an interesting thing that I see that Find Away Voices is doing, um, you know, that I'm not super familiar with. My books are wide, but I'm not currently selling them uh, directly from my website. But you know findaway voices uh, has something that they launched not long ago called uh, authors direct and uh, it's a new direct to consumer storefront that enables authors to sell their audiobooks to fans around the globe uh, listeners purchase their favorite audiobooks from an authors direct storefront and listen on a free app available for download on iOS or Android uh, if they don't have a device they can listen with their desktop web browser and what's in it for authors is uh, you'll earn more. You'll get seventy percent royalty on every title that you sell. Uh, they, you know, they say the industry standards forty five to fifty percent, but I know that it can be as low as twenty five percent, forty percent if you pay for your books yourself. They've got some more stuff about sales reporting and things like that. And I actually took a look at it and saw uh, LMBPNs, and it uh, looks interesting. They had a bunch of their books up there. So, uh, what do you guys think? Uh, if you're not if you're not locked down with uh, ACX, you think that this is something that's going to be valuable for consumers or is it just kind of a uh, window dressing?
2: I think it's great. I think Amazon really left themselves open in an unusual way with the ACX seven-year contract. Like, things have evolved so quickly that it made sense for them to try to lock it down, but the amount of backlash they're facing – like it really left the door open for other places like Find a Way to make things genuinely a better deal for authors. And like we could see a significant market shift.
3: Yeah. Well, I hope we see a significant market shift because Amazon's got everything locked up so tight. What was that thing they had about a year ago? Was it Audible Romance? Was it it was like their uh, the, I think uh, it was called uh, Audible, Audible, Audible Romance. It was their KU um, their the Audible, Audible
0: of audiobooks. Yeah,
3: KU of audiobooks. And I know a lot of authors were super excited, uh, thinking you know they are going to start getting a chunk of the pie every month, but it turned out to be not as generous as KU. It's kind of funny to talk about KU as being generous with the rate, but c- comparatively, um, people were making pennies of what they would have made from regular audiobook sales. right? And I think eventually, I don't know, did, does Amazon
0: even have that going now? I, I don't, don't know, if, know I don't I'm not sure. You know, I know that they were letting anyone out that wanted to get out. So maybe that was a precursor to just nuking it. Mm-hmm. But
3: the point is that that was, you know, in twenty nineteen that was pretty much the only game in town, right? Find a way and those other mm-hmm. other players chirping that stuff weren't really out there yet. Um, so I don't see anything wrong with competition. Um, it's gonna be hard to take on the Goliath of Audible, uh, because they just have so much marketing weight and so much traffic behind it that that's probably the first thing I would want to know about any of these audiobook delivery services: is how do they drive traffic to the page, or how do I drive traffic to the page right. if I want to book sell or audio? Well,
0: actually, to answer that, and maybe you can you can touch on this again. Uh, they, if I read this correctly, they made the point to say that they are not. Uh, driving traffic to their site that it's essentially a page for you to use to send people to when you drive your own traffic. And they spun that as a way to keep the uh, cost down that they're passing the savings on to you. But at the same time, they're not driving any traffic for you. So. Well,
1: and find a way goes to audible as well, right? They distribute there.
2: Yeah. It's like d 2 D2D
1: yeah so it's 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 a good way so first of all i love find a way um as an aside I had lunch with will dage the guy that um is, runs find away and um, he, 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 he just something good let me let me just name let me just pick up that name i dropped uh, <laughs> it, was, it was a couple of years ago but the the, the whole reason find a way is amazing to me is because will is amazing um, he has a an instagram account that just um rates donuts from around the united States whenever he goes somewhere he finds a donut shop and, so that's just i mean I would use find a way just for that. <laughs> um, that's my, my glowing recommendation, my testimonial. I'm actually going to be, I, so I'm locked down with most of my audiobooks Um, and they're starting to come up for the seven year. Uh, I did all ACX 50, 50 narrator, royalty split thing. Um, I'm moving in a different direction with some of them, but, um, I'm going to be going to find a way most likely for getting them distributed out there because, I want them to be an audible because that's where most of the the listeners are. Um, But I also want to be able to do whatever I want with it. Um, And so for me, it's kind of like, well, yeah, I don't really have the answer to how do I market it yet. Um, I'm just hoping that kind of treating it like a wide release um, and then doing some different things with media is going to be a a good trigger for being able to get people toward it. So I'm a fan of this. I I think it's really good. No matter what, it, it all comes down to just having other options for authors for indies out there. Um, and that's always a good thing in my, in my book.
3: And audible donuts is the title of
1: this episode. Audible Donuts.
0: <laughs> so I, I guess I, then I would ask one more question since Nick said, uh, he was going to kind of treat it like a wide release and okay. get some traction like that. Uh, Pippa or Jim, do either of you do anything specific to market your audio books or do you, uh, just kind of hope with your normal marketing efforts that some of that will spill over into the audio realm?
2: I'm terrible with marketing. I need to get better at that. So nope. no one should take any advice that I have on this scale right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
3: when it comes to audiobooks, I've, I've made every single mistake you can make. If you're wondering, hey, is there an author who's made every possible audiobook uh, production mistake—that would be me. So you could, <laughs> you can just uh, put my picture next to that definition. Um, but I have, I have some stuff that I'm just kind of waiting for them to time out so I can get my rights back. And I have a lot of other stuff that I haven't started producing an audio yet because everything has changed so much in like the last year or two. I kind of want to see where things are going to go before I commit to doing anything else in the audio sphere. Like I'm, I'm content to. To sit on my my uh, IP for audio for now and just see how things play out.
1: My solution. Right. Uh, I know you didn't. Add, you specifically precluded me, all right, from this answer. So thank you for that. Well, I was I, listening
0: I, to you, sir. <laughs> and you anyway. said you, you said you had no idea how to do it, so I didn't want to just throw it in your face again. You know. Oh yeah, but I love to hear the sound of my own voice, so I'll say something anyway. Um, Fair. You know, Fair. So.
1: I don't know, I don't know how to um, find new listeners is what I'm saying, but I I have some ideas of what I'm going to do anyway, and we'll see if it works. Um, One of those things that I mentioned, different media or new media is to take the audio narration files um, and underscore them, you know, I'm a a musician or whatever. So, so putting some actual composition underneath them and making them a little bit more like a radio drama, but just read by one, one voice, of course. Um, And then I'm going to release that as a podcast for free. Um, and then people can go, I'll have ads at the beginning and end of each episode, like 15 minutes each. Right. So it'll be a year long thing. But then if somebody wants to get the entire thing, either the audio only or the full underscored drama thing, um, they can go to my website and download them, purchase them and download. So, but what I'm getting to is the point is I think with audio, um, and, and ultimately with books in general is I want it to be on my own platform that I own. I want to, you know, yeah, sure. I want to be in Audible and be wide and all that stuff, um, but ultimately, I need to be able to control, or I want to be able to control the entire platform, and I, I never will control Amazon, um, you know. So it's going to have to be my own website. Where this, but I think long term, that's just a good strategy for authors to at least think about, you know, how how are we controlling our own platform. Are we able to do direct sales? That kind of thing. There's just so much more we can do if we have control of those the rights to do that, that kind of thing.
3: Well, you know what Amazon's going to do. In a year or two, they're going to open up uh, Amazon ads to to audiobooks, but it'll only be for ones that are ACX, ex, ACX exclusive. That's what they'll do, and they'll do that for a couple of years before they open up to everybody. And then that'll be a tough choice. Like, Do I stay exclusive and be able to actually run ads and see how well they work? Or yeah, do I go off on
1: my own? That's where I'm not I mean, I keep saying all this, oh, I want to be wide, I want to be wide. I'm exclusive with Amazon for all my, my ebooks. Um, And the reason is very simple. It makes me a lot more money than I would if I was wide. Um, that may or may not be true, you know, uh, in the future. But right now, you know, it's like, just with, it's like a contract. There's nothing wrong with traditional publishing. I mean, sorry, there's plenty of things wrong with it. Um, but every contract is different. And you treat it as its own little microcosm. And it's the same way with with Amazon and KU and being wider exclusive, I'm treating each opportunity um, like with what it is. It's well, I can make more money doing this. So I'm going to do this, but that may not always be the case. I may be on the show
0: one, one week and say, Hey, I'm wide now because I can make more money going wide. Yeah. So story number three, and uh, this is kind of a weird one, you know, in our world of cybersecurity, but uh, a was recently hacked. They sent an email out to, all their uh, members. And it says that with great regret, we inform you that on Monday, December the 21st, NetGalley was a victim of a data security incident. You know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, it's with an abundance of caution that we want to let you know this incident may have exposed some of your information that you've shared on NetGalley. The backup file that was impacted contained your profile information, which includes your login, name, password, email address, real name. And uh, if supplied by you, your mailing address, birthday, company name, and Kindle email address. Uh, We have no evidence of the exposure of this data, but we cannot be, we cannot stay, we cannot rule it out at this stage. And uh, so we expect you'll have some more questions, yada, yada, yada. So my question is, uh, does anyone use NetGalley? And if so, what what do you use it for? Uh, because I know it exists, you know, just kind of in the ether, but I don't use it. It seems like some people are kind of upset. So, uh, Nick, do you do you use NetGalley? I don't personally. Um, directly,
1: I should say, uh, my my publishing company for um, the the or sorry the publisher that's publishing the Jake Parker series uses it to send out their their galley copies and stuff. Um, and so, like, I got I've gotten an email that I've ignored from them that basically says, "Hey, we're doing this," and I was like, "Okay, I don't." I don't really know what that is. <laughs> I'm kind of with you. I'm a little in the dark as to what the benefit is. I guess I'm assuming it's just a way to get out art copies to a bunch of yeah, people.
2: Yeah, it is. But and I would say that most indie authors
1: way of doing it, right?
2: Yeah. Um, most indie authors are probably using book funnel instead.
1: Yeah. And we're doing it with our own lit. I guess netgalley is the idea is um, you don't have to have a list, right? Cause they've got some readers already in their system that would sign up to to review. Yeah. Yeah. No. So, no, I don't use it for that because I don't like paying money for things that I can do for free.
3: Mm-hmm. And some of the, I think a lot of the um, uh, book bloggers, probably now booktubers, that's probably where they get their stuff from, from NetGalley. Mm-hmm. But I've never, I've never used it as far as I know. I don't know if my trad, uh, if my publisher used it for to get ARC reviews because I had reviews on day one in my trad pub book. So, I don't yeah, know. I had a bunch of
1: three and two star reviews. I'm assuming. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> right on. Yeah, I mean, but I don't, I don't really read this genre. Two stars.
3: The lesson for authors in this story seems like that that the the truth is that you need to take care of your data. You know that we we work in a very digital industry, and so it's very helpful to have something like uh you know like one password or LastPass or some kind of password manager that can can inform you of a breach like that maybe even before NetGalley can and you know don't use the same password everywhere these are the kind of things that you know a lot of usually non-techie authors have to deal with working in a digital profession
1: yeah I would go so far as to say plan on getting your shit hacked at some point Um, Ah. just just plan on it because then if you've planned it's a stoic approach right if you plan on it then (laughs) You've sort of <laughs> prepared for it mentally, and hopefully done some things like Jim said to, to take care of it. But most of us, think, we live in this world where we think, "Well, it's not going to happen to me," and then it happens, um, and and all our crap is gone, and or stolen, or locked down, or whatever. And that's not a place we want to be. So, yep, yeah,
2: yeah. To go much it. more philosophically here, just you know, abandon the just world worldview and just be like, it's going to happen. It doesn't matter how careful I am.
1: (laughs) Your hard drive is going to crash and you're going to lose data. So figure that out. The NSA won't
2: give you their backup.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I'm more kind of railing against the people who, who claim that they want, you know, more privacy and all the, you know, website like Facebook, you know, privacy. I'm like, guys, you're staring into your phone to unlock it. What do you think Apple's doing with that information? Like probably nothing yet, but dude, you guys are all worried about you know Facebook's privacy laws and NetGalley getting hacked and all that. But what do you, you're sitting on your phone all day and your face is being recorded by something, I'm sure.
0: Anyway. Mm-hmm. That's I'll true. That's true. Maybe we'll circle back around to this. Uh, maybe we'll see if we can put together uh, some advice about security as well as some backup stuff uh, for people in the next uh, upcoming episodes. So maybe we'll get together off air and talk about that. So – Uh, The final story that I have for us today is the New York Times most popular books of 2020. And now this isn't the normal one about uh, which ones were purchased and things like that. Uh, This was just kind of a snapshot of libraries in New York talking about the most popular books of the year that were uh, borrowed. And uh, it seemed like it was kind of borough specific. You know, Brooklyn had... uh, Some some more nonfiction type titles, you know, by uh, Ibram Kendi and Robin DiAngelo, um, you know, and Michelle Obama. And you kind of have to get to Queens before you start seeing some genre fiction. And it's the usual suspects, John Grisham and uh, Danielle Steele, James Patterson, uh, James Patterson, a few times. So I bring this up. Uh, because I wanted to touch base with you guys. It is the day before the new year and we've all had a long year of publishing. You know, none of us, I think, were new this year. So um, how'd your 2020 turn out book-wise? Let's let's not talk about the dumpster fire of the year, but how did your 2020 turn out book-wise? What was your most read or borrowed or purchased book this year? Uh, Whoever wants to go first.
2: I'm going to look at data first.
3: Oh,
0: there we uh, go. I'll
2: let you know.
3: <laughs> there we go. I'll go. I don't know what my most read book was or my most purchased. I haven't actually run the year-end numbers yet, but this year I rapid-released for the first time. That was a very interesting. Or, I mean, technically Nick rapid-released because <laughs> Nick and I co-wrote a series that was released on his KDP. We, so.
1: I rapid-anxietyed Jim um, <laughs> is what I did. Nick, Nick <laughs> is the one who put the buttons to make it happen. I was like, "Well, we'll wrap and release this," and Jim's like, "Well, it's not written yet." And I'm like, "Shh!" <laughs> <laughs> he put my finger over his lips. And just like, oh. like, don't worry. Don't worry, so summer
2: child. <laughs> oh, oh, shh, baby. Don't you worry about that.
1: <laughs> he did worry about that. Surprisingly, yeah. <laughs> he was right to worry. <laughs> we got it done, though.
0: Let's right see. on. Well, just wow. why we have a little bit of filler time, the number two book in my uh, my main series uh, was my biggest mover this year. And I picked up something like 600 reviews in like the last half of the year. So, Dang, that's awesome. um, you know, wow. It, yeah. Yeah. It was. Well, it, yeah, it was. A, it was. a. I had a book, bub, And then, mm. you know, I, I, I found that since uh, you don't have to leave a review, you can like leave ratings that I get a lot more reviews than I used to on some of these books. And, uh, you know, I like to, as, as in, as imperfect as it is, I kind of like to use it as a barometer for how many people are going through the books, um, you know, when ratings and reviews pop up. So my number two book was, was, uh, was a surprise for me this year. And I was happy about that. Uh, let's see who came up with some numbers.
2: Um, I'm still, I'm signing in. So I have, have the thing that is going to
0: well, launch soon. You, so I'm looking at us. the Yeah. You had told us yeah. that you were very, very interested in data. And so I imagine that you'll be able to pull up a uh, exquisite. Data. So,
2: yeah. So here's the thing. Uh, this was a really, really um, weird year for me from mm-hmm. a just everything perspective. I had decided in 2018 to try to get back into working a nine to five and that ended up going completely disastrously, like things being thrown in the workplace, like just all crazy kinds of shit. And so I left in January mm. right before the entire world went to hell. And mm. I spent a whole bunch of this year kind of getting better and I have been ghostwriting mostly. And so I know which book I'm the most proud of this year, but that book isn't out yet. So, mm. um. Well, I would say, actually, probably my Dragon Core series was the biggest seller this year. Good stuff. Um,
1: yeah. For me, it's Harvey Bennett, as uh, as it is most years. Um, that is a perennial bestseller. It tends to be, well, not I shouldn't say bestseller. That actually means something. It sells <laughs> best for me. Um, the first one, the Enigma Strain, kind of the old, uh, the old sleeper there, it just continues to chug along and make money, uh, which is great. People still seem to like it a lot. And, um, so far it hasn't tapered off. So whenever I launch a new Harvey Bennett, it, those tend to sell pretty well. Um, but none of them have got gotten anywhere close to the hard to the, I think the Enigmas trains made me somewhere like not $300,000 or something like that. Stupid. Not, not last year alone, but in in total, which is great. So, um, yeah, that one's been good for me. I've got a lot of stuff, a lot of irons in the fire for 2021 that I'm excited about nice planning to uh to rapid anxiety a bunch of other co-actors as well.
0: <laughs>
2: i feel like i'm missing out i rapid anxiety but like not about anything in particular so now i'm wondering if i can like monetize that
0: <laughs> yeah you gotta you gotta bottle it up you gotta <laughs> bottle it up
1: all as right who suffers from chronic anxiety it is a great weight loss
0: strategy <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right on well all right well if we uh jim did you have anything else to say before i wrap this thing up or are you good Uh, it's good to
3: be good to be James Patterson in Queens. Apparently he's huge there. (laughs) He's, he's big in Queens. man. That was my takeaway from the, uh, the top 10 books of the year.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm sure if we just give him a holler, maybe we can work with him. Uh, It seems he's pretty liberal with that. So James come on the show. We'd love to have you. Yeah. Love it. Masterclass is pretty good too. All right. So, uh, that's all that we have today. Uh, perfect. I tried to time it. No, that was my fault. I, whatever. Stay classy, <laughs> internet. Yeah, I blame me. And uh, in any event, so uh, thanks for listening to Author News Weekly. If you have any tips or any stories that you want us to cover, uh, go ahead and shoot us an email. The email address is anwtips at gmail.com. And I'll try to get it right this time. It's uh, alpha November Whiskey Tips, T I P S, at gmail.com. And uh, for all of us, thanks for listening. Tune in next week and uh, be safe. Bye, everyone. Bye.